You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey folks, how are you doing? We're back again after a couple of weeks break on The Retail Perch. And today we have a special co-host with me, uh, Stephanie Doherty. Great to have her and I'm sure we're going to have a great time. And on top of that, we have a special guest on the show, Katie Hotz. We're going to let Katie tell her story and you know what she does. It's a very interesting and fascinating one, I'm sure. Welcome, Stephanie. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Shaker. I'm so excited to be here. Thank, thanks for having me. Okay. And we also have Katie. Katie, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So Katie, you know, when we get started here, tell us a little bit about your, your background. You know, where do you, where do you, where do you come from? You know, what were your career like and give us a backstory. Sure. So I spent 20 years in management and technology consulting. Didn't mean to at all. Just sort of fell into it when I was living in Atlanta in my 20s. The, the journey through consulting was really interesting because it, it's, it's offered some fundamental roots for how we run our company now um, as a data-based company and did a ton of marketing. I, I was hands-on bottom of the food chain back when digital marketing was a thing. And uh, I was the person, I was coding HTML. I was, I was building everything from scratch and systems. Um, I was in event planning. And so all the registration systems were going digital. And I was that like low person who had to create everything when it was a disaster, I had to go in and fix it. And so there's just a lot about, you know, digital marketing, conversion, performance marketing, you know, all those elements that I just, I'm a student of because I, I was there from the dawn of it. And, you know, grew my career, continued with marketing, ended up taking on a digital marketing role, uh, sorry, a demand generation role for a Fortune 200 company and did that in North America. And then it was successful. So I scaled that and took on a performance marketing global role for that same company. Uh, ended up spending 11 years there, which is crazy. Performance marketing is really just the data side of marketing. And, uh, and I like to say that the cool thing about that occupation is when you're competitive, uh, which I tend to be, you don't have to compete with people because you can compete with yourself because you're running campaigns and you're constantly trying to outperform yourself. And you're, you, you know how to change a variable to get a different outcome and test and learn and an ABC test all day long. And, and so that, that sort of concept was just fundamental and how I ran my, it was a global business at the time. I had seven offices globally for the firm. But on the side of my desk, I was managing a problem um, at home with my um, raising two kids. My husband was a pilot and so he was gone a lot. And I was, I was super frustrated with the online grocery situation. Uh, I was living in Chicago at the time and I was taking the train into the city every day, uh, 42 minutes on the train and uh, 42 minutes home. And I had 42 minutes every day with a cup of coffee to go, this is ridiculous. I cannot figure out how to emulate the process that I used to have when we were newlyweds. And I would rip out the recipes out of Rachel Ray magazine. I would jot down everything I needed. I drive to the store, right? No kids, I can do this, right? I'd get everything I needed. I'd go home, I'd put it in the pantry in the fridge and I'd have the stack of recipes on the counter. And so when I would come home, this is, you know, 26 years old, it's newlywed, come home, I'd just grab a recipe, go in the kitchen and pour a little glass of wine, make my recipe. And, like, and I didn't have the stress, but all of a sudden I'm in Chicago on a train. I've got kids at two different daycares. I've got a nanny at the house. I've got, you know, the husband's gone. He can't help me at all. I have source groceries and I had problems. 
And so I started crafting solutions and I failed a lot. I had, I had a couple things I'm just sort of glad are buried and no one's ever brought them up. One was the crock pot thing and it was pretty bad, uh, but you learn and you kill it really quickly. And, and so, yeah, so I actually started writing the wireframes for what eventually began to, um, to be like our prototype that we, I relocated to Charlotte and we, I hired a, a coder who was a uh, Johnson and Wales trained chef. And uh, you can't have a better coder in this yeah, business. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And someone who understands the metrics and questions it, doesn't just do what I asked, but he questioned it, which is awesome. And we, we actually built the prototype and started pumping it out there. And, and that was, um, we were off to the races from that point forward. That's awesome. So a lot of what you, so you try to solve a personal problem and you use some of your experience in the test and learn type of scenario to figure out how to wind up on a prototype. That's fascinating because I had an hour ride into the city and I was working in the city. It's very similar. I was trying to solve a personal problem and I would use the ride into the city to make my plans. And there was this guy who worked at Google who used to sit opposite each other all the time. And I would bounce my ideas off him. And he's one of the first people who said, I think you got a great idea. You should start a company. I'm not in touch with him, unfortunately, but you know, I remember those train rides and you know, I guess, I guess you can sleep on the train or you can dream. Right. So tell me, you know, were you, were you nervous? I mean, coming from a management consultancy to go on off to be an entrepreneur. I mean, it's a big change, right? I guess I should have been, um, you know, I was actually getting my MBA and, uh, at, at night, working full time during the day. And I had had the wireframes. I'd actually shown a couple people who were investors. I wasn't looking for money because uh, we we're fully bootstrapped until very recently. I just, I just wanted to see like, would, would someone write a check for this, you know? And right. uh, but again, like I was, I was corporate. So I had my corporate salary landing in the account every two weeks and, and I was studying every night, all weekend. And I had enough people say yes. And then I started having people in the neighborhood kind of grab me and go, I heard you're doing this thing and I want to be in on it. And, and that's when I realized like, there's definitely something here. And then it was uh, December of 2018. I actually was laid off. Uh, and I talk about it really openly because I, I think a lot of women go through, the, I mean, everyone goes through it, but there's something about the fear and you have to, you have to suppress that fear. You just shove it down and go, you know what? I'm, I've, I have the experience. I'm going to figure it out. I still had a semester of my MBA left. And my husband's like, hell or high water, you're finishing that degree. You're not going to quit that degree. It's like, because I really wanted to stop. But, and it was, it was tough. It was really tough trying to get off the ground. But what, what caught me when you can suppress your fear was I joined an incubator like immediately. I was at UNC Charlotte and I'd never been to the campus before. It really was not convenient for me at all on the total other side of the city. But they had this free program and I applied. They accepted me. They took 12 entrepreneurs on and you had to do customer discovery. And it was intense. And it was like, if, if you don't do it, don't show up. Like we don't, you know, it, it was very focused, but it was pretty awesome in the sense that I had to call all these people. They teach you like, like true customer discovery. And when you're on the back end of an MBA, you're like, oh, I've got this, Which, but I didn't at all because they, they have, you can't bias an interview and they teach you how to do it. They also teach you how to have the guts to do it. Like let, let's do some role-playing, you know, let's play So you really get trained. And um, by the end of that session, it was like three months. I mean, A, I had met my CTO and he's still with us today. He's brilliant and we're dear friends and I would have never had him otherwise. But B, we, I learned how to get in the door with kind of almost in an academic way, but really, but being really genuine, just saying, listen, I just, I just want to hear how you solve X problem. Don't ask me what I do, right? You don't need to know what I do. 
but how do you solve X problem? And you're, you're making yourself vulnerable for people to call your baby ugly. And I think that the beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur and, and being fearless, you could go for days, Shaker, I'm sure, on everything you've had to kill, all the ideas that you spun up and you shut down for anyone knew they existed, or, or some of them, people did know they existed. But being able to evolve where I started and where it is today looks very different. But I look at the business model that we've built today and the revenue model. I mean, it just continues to evolve because you just, you learn to listen and stop talking. And so that really just the fundamental element of what we've built. And really, I think your fear subsides when you're, when they're telling you which, which you need to go do, that's the gap and you're solving a gap and you, and you can have that two way street with these people and say, I mean, I have that with a grocer in Canada right now. I'm like, can I just call you, you know, as I keep taking these baby steps, can I call you? And we just keep talking. And so you're just building something for someone really important. You're like, you know, it's important for them. It's probably going to be important for other people. Right. And so I think it's an element of not being afraid when you just, when you take those baby steps, but the courage to move forward was something that I, I hope that at some point I can get into a coaching position with other women. Cause there's so many women who have so many ideas that don't jump because you're scared and, and I get it, but the upside's just awesome. The ride is a lot of fun. Katie, I love the way you say allowing someone to tell you your baby's ugly. And I heard you say that. I love that. I love it because I I call bird's eye shakers baby. I understand it. I get it. When you were doing market research, were there any really huge insights that you got out of that process? Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) I mean, first and foremost, the people making the decisions are very disconnected from the problem. And they would argue that all day long, that they're not, but it, but they are. And, and, and I can't say that that's, it, it's not necessarily something that, that can just be solved instantly. But I, I, that, was, that was sort of, A, coming out of the gates, having people grab me, top executives, and say, you know, I've never used our online stuff before. I mean, right. often. And you go, Yeah. So we got to fix this. Like you spent a lot of money, you know, like the world's going digital. And so that happened a lot. You know, one of the most interesting findings we had early on. So, so I started with about a thousand busy parents in the Southeast, right? And I sourced them in a a unique way. You know, when you're a mom on Facebook, it's really not that hard. And then you, you start collecting this feedback from them, but I actually ran the personal interviews for a large, over a hundred of those. And people who thought that online grocery shopping was easy was about 4%. About 4% gave it like a top thumbs up. Um, the rest of them fell, like it just, the numbers just, just. Right. And so I grabbed that group and I started running focus groups. And so Louise and I started splitting them off. Like, all right, talk to me, right? This is three women at a time. Tell me, take me to your problem. And, or, you know, take me to how you're solving it. Every single one was doing her meal planning first. First of all, it was all women. We didn't have any men who fell in that category, all women. And they were actually doing the meal planning just like I was when I was in Hollywood. And I was like, so, so if we can emulate that digitally and pop it exactly where you are going, like not, I, I don't believe in all this third-party stuff. I think it's just fundamentally just broken. Uh, but, but meet the shopper exactly where they're going and in the moment when they need you, we can solve for this. And so that's, that's just the, you know, the root of, of how we've built a company. Awesome. So- Grocery Shoppy. How did you come up with that name? I I got embarrassed with my husband and I thought Shoppy sounded sort of, you know, sophisticated. And then my my lawyer goes, add grocery to the front of it just to be safe. Sounds great. (laughs) So... So, so we got, you know, we, we trademarked it and we're, we're off to the races. People all the time go, Shoppy II. I'm like, please don't say that. No, 
<laughs> we get bird birdsy. Birdsy. We get birdsy a lot. Yeah. I called you birdsy in my head for about a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, so you started your business in 2019, I'm guessing. Is that right? Uh, yes. In early 2019, I was in the incubator. And then um, the, the Mike, Louise, Katie team gelled really quickly. And we were off to the races together as a team. And then from there, it's grown. All right. So tell our audience exactly what does grocery shopping do? Sure. So we are a B2B digital meal planning platform. And we have built a Pinterest-like uh, feed of recipes. We have two different experiences. One is inspiration. One is where you have more control, called Browse Recipes. And it's a white label platform, continually innovating. So we are adding all different kinds of features and functions to it um, every two to three months. And that platform for your grocer, we brand it with your uh, imagery, fonts, colors, and we actually um, drop it into your e-commerce experience. And certain you know, elements of that we, we hold back, but the experience allows for your shopper to use your e-commerce the way they always do, or uh, single click, they can enter our experience. And our experience is yours. It's an extension of your brand. We, we don't have a brand. And it allows shoppers to plan and purchase a week's worth of meals that they would make at home in five minutes or less. And so... Uh, they're just sourcing those groceries from their neighborhood grocer versus plated or blue apron. I love that. Plan your week's meals in five minutes and purchase. Plan and purchase your meals for the week in five minutes or less. That's a great tagline. That's the, fantastic. The yeah. Beauty, you know, we we are by the shopper, for the shopper. We have a private network of um, that same group I referred to earlier. We actually formalized it into a network. We can pulse them for anything. And we know that uh, we know what their needs are. We know what their nirvana is. And uh, so we lay out our, our whole roadmap is based upon their need. And, uh, and then they answer to it. And so they tell us, you know, we've, we've run blueprints right now with something and there was something they didn't like. And we're a little surprised by that. So we had to go back and, you know, yeah. we just keep adjusting. If, they, if they're not happy, we don't take it to a client until our user group's happy. And, and so it's, it's, it's an interesting model for us because um, pleasing them, they, they are our, our core demographic. If you have one child living in your home, that's who we serve. Uh, we're going to get the rest. But if you like to go touch your vegetables right now, if you have time to do that, we'll get to you down the road. But um, we're, we're, going, we're targeting those busy people. Got it. Got it. So e-commerce is pri your primary focus in terms of integrating with grocers, yeah. e-commerce sites. Exactly. Well, exactly. it makes sense. I mean, you know, especially given the last one year, it's kind of must have shot through the roof in terms of uh, interest in your platform. It was an interesting year. Yes. Right. Uh, right. Very exciting year for us. That is great. That's that's fantastic. Tell me, so how big is your team now? What do you what do you guys uh, where are you guys at? Uh, we we're based on Davidson College's campus, and so we're in an innovation hub here, mm -hmm. and where this is the office. And um, yeah, so we we have some of their students as well. We have two that we've pulled in enough to consider part of the crew. So it's about eleven. Wow. No, that's that's yeah. that's fantastic. Where do you see grocery shopping? What's your vision for grocery shopping? The vision will always be to continue to outdo ourselves in serving the shopper. And the what is it going to migrate into? Uh, her needs continue to be, and, and his needs too. We actually have a double-digit percentage of men that offer feedback as well. But the opportunity to leverage recommendations. I think that a massive gap in the industry and a massive uh, need for our shopper base is recommendations where the thinking's done for them. 
Um, there's always a need for explicit data capture. It's never mm-hmm. going to go away, right? My meat-eating husband is in town this week, but he is going to be out of town next week, right? And maybe my vegan mother-in-law is in town instead, right? And so that shift that is is it's imperative that we're constantly adjusting for that. Right. And a machine cannot predict that. You have to have an opportunity where explicit data capture is driving an experience. But that being said, recommendations are so powerful. You know, Amazon has built a business on recommendations. Almost 400% lift they see when you engage with their recommendations. And it's a huge gap. When you look at the e-commerce platforms that exist today for grocery, you go on and you're staring at effectively whoever bothered to pay to play for your iSpace, right? And it's Red Bull. It's Purina dog food. I don't have a dog and I don't drink energy drinks, right? But that's, that's not taken into consideration in that experience. What I do need right now is I got to feed the kids for the week. What you got for me, right? And, you know, the, the opportunity to start feeding in the recommendations, I think is really powerful. It's something that we fundamentally do anyway, but we're amping that, uh, which is really cool. And, and then the ability to house certain information in the system so that it becomes more sticky, the stickiness is really powerful. You've got to be able to bring those shoppers back over and over again. You know, we passionately believe in fresh content. I talk to grocers every single week, sometimes a couple times a week, who go, oh, yeah, we have recipes on our site, and no one ever clicks on them. And it's kind of, a, you know, it's kind of contentious sometimes because we keep right. spending money on them, but no one uses them. And when recipes aren't part of the shopping journey, when, when the data is not updated, stagnant data, yeah. put stagnant data anywhere on the web, right? Yeah and wait 48 hours and see what happens. You're buried. Your link is buried. You, you, you fall off page one Google end results and you're dead. And so it's you have to be able to map just basic principles of digital marketing and optimization. And, and so we infuse all that into the way we, we build it. And so as we grow and we sort of try to outdo ourselves with certain features, it's, it, it's just, we believe that we continue to serve that shopper at a greater level just every, every time we pull out a new feature, so. So Katie, the recipes are shoppable, right? They can click and add things to their lists. They are. You know, the term shoppable recipe sends like a cold chill down my spine. Oh. I kind of embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not from this industry. And so when you come to the industry and people, I had immediately had someone who's deciding if he was putting me on a, a panel at a, at a large conference. He came back, he goes, ah, shoppable recipes. It's, it's not new. And I was like, oh God, that's what he thinks we do. So, you know, we're, we're a pure tech company. Just, you know, I should have clarified that earlier. We, there's a lot of confusion around that. We don't own our recipes. We don't need to. Uh, there's beautiful recipes right. out there. Yeah. And if, you're, if you are delivering fresh content, owning your recipes does, is not going to serve you. Not a, it's not a game that you can keep up with. And so, yeah, so the, the ability to actually use the recipes to fill the cart, uh, we do in a unique way. We suck all the clicks out. And so we, we learned when you start at zero, when you're not from this industry, you can actually break rules that we continue to hear around boardroom tables. They go, how do you do that? How do you get away with that? And they tell us. And when a mass volume of people are telling us they don't care what brand diced tomatoes are, just put them in the cart. Now that you know request or that, that uh, willingness maps to a persona. And if you can identify your persona and you're building against that persona, then you know when, when it's a go or no go. And so it's just interesting. I think that there's an, an issue in the industry where they're trying to serve so many people, this massive audience. And I used to be in marketing and I get it. You have to narrow your focus and you have to win the focus. And then you can start to expand from there. But when it comes to recipes, um, are they shoppable? Sure. But I think the term actually came when you know they post a recipe and go, here's all 12 olive oils that we offer. 
please select which one. And there's 14 ingredients in that recipe. So it's going to take you 15 minutes to shop the shoppable recipe. And the PS, we're going to add it to a list and it may never convert to your cart. And that happens in, we do click maps for our prospect meetings and we show them like, you know, I mean, we, we had a group last week that was 16 clicks and you never actually get to check out. <laughs> and so, you know, there's things that you realize there's a, so much room for improvement in this very narrow sliver of user experience. And if you can fix this narrow sliver, I think you're winning. And, and so we don't, you know, we don't take transactional data. We don't, I don't need, we don't need to do anything else. This, right. this, this needs to be fixed and grocers can keep all their relationships, their e-commerce platform, their backend fulfillment, everything. We're just helping them optimize that front end, what we call the first mile and get the groceries into the cart, get more groceries in the cart get the loyalty, give them a reason to keep coming back to you versus the other five grocers that they could throw a rock at from their house. So my follow-up to that was who's deciding which brands are going into the cart. Um, there, so there's a sponsored item often. And so, and that's important. That's singular. And from that point forward, we have an algorithm that we use. We also have a alignment with the e-commerce platform in terms of how that selection's made. And it's, it's done a very certain way. There's secret sauce to all that that I just all share publicly. The front end, kind of like the look and feel isn't so different than others in the space, but behind the curtains, it's it's wildly different. You know, for people who are listening to this, and there's lots of retailers who do listen to this podcast, what would you say is the, the big advantages they would see if they were to adopt your platform? You know, when you take it back to the shopper, when we take, take everything off the table, you have busy people and you want to serve them. Every group has that same... Uh, fundamental interest and, you know, or expectation in their job, right? Are we serving our shopper? And I, I think that the, the greatest opportunity here is that three out of four shoppers are going on to a grocery commerce site, adding stuff to their cart and not checking out. And that has become an accepted norm in this industry. And I would tell retailers that it's unacceptable because what you have, you didn't just lose a sale. You have a frustrated consumer who just spent time on your site and now has nothing to show for it. She's still got to go feed those kids. So now they're, they're heading down the street to, you know, a fast, fresh place or, or drive through or whatever. And she's not happy that it didn't work out, but she couldn't figure out what dinner was going to look like. She's exhausted. Her brain is toast. She's been at work all day or she's managed kids all day. It's not fair. This is where recommendations come in. And so this technology allows you to serve that person. Don't let her go to your site and not check out. That's not okay. And it's, I think it's been amazing to me in this industry, Shaker, to, to hear how many people are so jazzed about getting in the cart. I'm like, but the conversion rate's so low. Doesn't that bother you? If they're not checking out, then who cares? And that's been the shock to me. And again, you know, I always preach, like I, I, I know there's this whole journey that I'm on to really embrace grocery at a larger scale coming from consulting. Um, but it's really shocking to me as a performance marketer, conversion's all I care about. And, and so it's shocking to me that people want to, they want to charge and when they didn't check out. So I, I would actually say that the greatest value that we bring to retailers is we have, by removing the friction, by solving an, a critical UX problem, we get them to check out. And, uh, and it's just tremendous value in that value that it's often can't even be quantified. Um, but it's earning that shopper's trust and earning their business is, should be the fundamental goal of everyone. And we feel that we serve the retailer in that regard. 
So Stephanie, do you have any, any more questions? I wanted to change the topic. I was wondering, you had said that you are targeting the busy mom, right? Because I, what I was curious about was how do you target the busy mom and, and the 20 something who's newly married, who has time to like muddle mint and crush garlic. You know what I mean? I'm not doing that on a Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> but they do have time to muddle mint. They do, they do. So I'm weird. I was wondering if like the things were geared more towards me. Who's like, this needs to be done in five minutes compared to the person who is going to spend three what hours. Screaming three-year-old at their feet. Yeah. happens. Right? <laughs> so you are targeting, but you're targeting more the busy mom, but everyone kind of comes along. Um, yeah, you know, so it's, so the, the target demographic from day one, I'm a 42 year old female with two kids. But if, when you look up the average grocery shopper, it, it's a 42-year-old female. And so when you have a child in the home, you have different needs, period. Uh, you don't have time anymore. You don't want to take the screaming kid to the grocery store. You don't have time to look at the recipes anymore. You don't care, right? You have reduced yourself to mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. And it's true, though. Yeah, and whatever's left over on the pan that the kids right, right, right. And you're grazing from it. And then you're like, well, I'm full. And so I, I think that there's there's that. They're solving for that busy person and making it really easy for them to actually serve healthy food. You know, the dietary edit component has been tremendous. You know, so right now today, we break down into 17 different dietary points of criteria. And we are only expanding that right now with some of the relationships that we have and interest in other types of diets that we haven't even heard of. But they're popping in certain parts of the country. And you know, serving that is, is critically important. But I would also say that the, your, your Gen X, your millennial, your Gen Z, the way that they shop is so important. Um, they don't use cookbooks. And so if you are using syndicated cookbook content or, or if you're making content, the way that they validate it is very different. They, there's, you know, I, I, I should be careful not go into too much detail with the ranking, but we have force ranked with our group a couple times, actually, how they value recipes, whether it's a food blogger logo, a brand, a food brand, there's popular food brands, there's boutique food brands, there's all, you know, we've measured everything, the grocery stores brand, you know, if the grocery stores kitchen designed it, does that, does that matter? It's really interesting data. And you, that data has to be applied. If you're trying to drive engagement to get to that basket and you have to know, you have to get in their head and know how they, what's important to them. And so there's a tremendous amount of what we do in our system. And, and some of it, you know, in coming months, I'll be more public with it, Stephanie. T today, we're not being super public with it, but I've alluded to enough that you could probably guess. We, we know how they validate the recipe. And so in boosting, uh, it's not just about fresh data. It's about what type of data, recipe data you're using. It's really, really important. So how have you seen behavior change in the last one year? When, when, as it relates to, you know, people have been cooking more from home, obviously, in the last one year. Mm -hmm. So I can see that, you know, a platform like yours may have had higher utilization than previously. So yeah. what are you seeing? Uh, meal fatigue, for sure. Any data, any anything we put out there on meal fatigue blows up. And so it's, you know, the... Folks who are home trying to figure out how to not go to restaurants more often are cooking more. And the cooking, I would say there's meal fatigue and there's like cooking fatigue. I get so sick of being in the kitchen. And so that's actually lifted the interest in us, which is great. I mean, I'd say with every month of this pandemic, we've had more and more interest. We've, it's been easier to get to the right people because they sometimes it's that person actually who finally goes, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm there now. I am so sick of being in the kitchen. 
So we've definitely seen that that's been a big shift. You know, another big shift I noticed in the data lately is, you know, we, we've always led with the current abandonment rate around 74% per, for grocery. And, uh, and that was, that's an industry data. It's nothing we came up with on our own, but the numbers we've crunched privately, I mean, it's in the nineties. Wow. Well, because you've added a volume of people who are not accustomed to shopping online. And so they're like, let me just try this. And, wow. and so they're adding things and not checking out. So it's interesting because if you don't have the data, you would actually assume that it's improving, right? God, you have all these people now and everyone's fear, right? Fear drives people to do weird things. Um, my 72-year-old parents have been shopping for groceries online. That blew my mind. My mom was doing it on her phone. Like, couldn't even wow. process that. But she told me, she's like, Katie, it took me weeks to figure out how to do it. She said, I was putting a mask on, going to the store, because I was, I was putting stuff in my cart and couldn't, I'm like, this is ridiculous. And so, it, you know, it's really been interesting to see the data not improve that way with the cart conversion. And again, I think that that's, um, we try to find out as much as we can every week on, we, our entire business is built on inbound leads, which has been awesome. But we're, we try to find out like, like, what led you down the path to us? What was that one thing that had you querying? And yeah, it's the meal fatigue is real. And I think that the data and the system, what they're seeing behind the curtain, it's ugly. There's mm. a conversion issue and it's, it's getting worse. And so, um, and as people start to go back in store, they go back in store because they're frustrated. Yeah, you're right about meal fatigue because I've noticed that my wife off late has asked me to cook more than she used to. Right. I announced feed yourself night. That's just find whatever you can in the cupboard. Like I, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I That's exactly what happens. She'll she'll come and say, I'm done. Yeah. Make something or order something today. <laughs> it's on you. So it's a real thing. It's for real. And you know what I love about your approach is that you're talking to real people. You're done. You're just not working off an idea. You've spoken to real people, identified the problems, narrowed down on exactly what's going to solve the problem. So I think, you know, I think if there's retailers, there are retailers listening to this. I think that's, it's something that they can learn that I think will benefit them even when they make changes on their website to understand, you know, cause everybody's got a website, right. And, and we know where the traffic on the website goes uh, on a retailer's website. And, you know, so like you said, I think hardly anybody was, uh, visits the recipes section of a grocer's website because there's really nothing much you can do with it apart from look at the recipes and how many times are you going to do it if you can't act on it, right? So Every time you go, it's the same. And so they end up, it, it, fresh data every second. Every time you go to Pinterest, you'll never see the same recipe twice. Right. So, right. you know, when you have that, that muscle memory, you're not going to go back to something that's stagnant. Correct. I would totally. like to point out, you have a, uh, a recipe box, right? Where people yeah. can save their favorite. I love that because it's the worst when you knew you made something and you loved it mm -hmm. and then you can't find it again. We've just augmented it. Um, again, I have to be real careful what I share, but it's, you know, for those who want a demo, we, we, we are sharing it privately, um, but we just took it to a whole nother level. Again, with our private user group, we showed it to them. They're like, if you could do this, that would be amazing. And, it's, and sometimes it's not that complicated, but yeah, I appreciate that. Cause it's, it, again, I am the busy mom that we're building for. And so I, I look at my own problems as well and go, how do we, how do we address that one? Awesome, awesome. Well. I'm going to shift the topic. Stephanie, are you okay with that? I'm good. I'm good. You, you're you're right. driving the show. Well, first, I'm going to do something selfish. So I run a room on Clubhouse on Wednesdays at 1130 a.m. for first-time founders over 40. 
So you should. And I have already admitted that I'm over 40, so there's that. <laughs> That's right. Well, now that you've qualified, you should definitely join. I think you have a great story that will inspire a lot of people. A second, I wanted to ask you, as as a woman entrepreneur, did you what, what was your experience? I mean, what would you? I'm really interested because I think there's a lot of conversations and yeah. chatter about you know uh, women entrepreneurs and their their funding levels are so much lower than than men, you know, male founders. And what was, what's been your experience and how do you see it changing? And what do you think we can do to improve whatever the status quo is? Yeah. And you know, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't filter cause I think that the too many women do and it's not been easy. And, uh, and so if there's any one woman listening that I can help, I always just, just shoot straight. I had a venture capital guy advise me one time and it was early. And he sat me down and I remember being so offended by what he said to me. And now looking back, I'm so glad he was straight with me. He said, you don't give me FOMO. You don't, I don't have, you know, I'm not like, like dying to write the check, you know? And, and as a woman, I think that you're so like, gosh, I just want to like show you everything. And I want to, you know, make you so excited and, you know, and I, let me show you this, let me show you that. And here I have this financial chart. And, and um, but it, it, there's something about the hardcore, get in there. Are you in? Do you want this? I'm closing the round soon. There's a, there's an approach and there's no book. I wish there was a book. Instead, um, I had one woman write a check for this company. Everyone else has been men. And that's fine because I cherry picked them and they are amazing. Every single person who's written a check for our company, I adore. And, and, and very few people can say that. But I had to learn how to do it. And the how-tos just don't exist. And so um, that was really, if I had to name really the only thing, because I don't ever play the woman card. I, you know, I just, we're just business people. We just, you, right. just, you know, I also came from hardcore, you know, technology consulting where I was often the only woman anyway. Um, but at the same time, um, raising money and learning how to get in there, you, you get it, you got to get a couple early checks, figure out how do you get the early checks. And from that point forward, um, we just, we started setting the deadlines, set the timer, um, get your forecast really pretty. You know, I do have a, a background and a, a graduate degree in analytics. And so I, I built my models, show them my models. And, and that was, that was really, it's great until you get to the end and you have to convert them and they need to sign the note. And that was really one of the hardest parts for us was figuring out like, what's the language that I use to get them to that place. And I lead um, very ethically. I take a tremendous amount of appreciation and pride in the three men, all of whom were doctors, who came in in April to write the very first checks for our company. I've been trying to raise, the pandemic happened within weeks of the raise. I was launching the raise actually when I saw you. I was, I was, mm -hmm. That was my first, you know, I was doing pitches that week. And yeah, if those three men hadn't come in, uh, it could be really scary. You know, I mean, you've got to figure, we were boot, fully bootstrapped, but those terms that those men came in on, I honor. I take it really seriously. The people who came in to help us. And so there's just an element to, I've also driven my own ship. I don't let, I mean, I even had a, a blood relative come, try to come in on special terms and said, no way, don't need to check. Right. I, I refuse to do anything unethical. To me, cutting all the special deals, I won't do it. So there, there's just an interesting place where I've learned how to, to sort of have the ability to tell the story and use the right tools to get people to push and get get them to, to come in, but you also have to have a really good partner. 
Mm. And the product has, it speaks for itself. You know, I, I had an investor on the phone a couple of days ago and he has five kids. And I, you, you just have that hello. You know, if you have kids, you know this problem. And so it's, it's a lot easier to, to get that to happen. But I would tell you that, that that's really been one of the hardest problems. And, and some of the checks I didn't take, I never lose sleep over. At, that is one place as a woman, I will tell you that. There are some people out there that want to just mansplain you to death. And I have, I have 20 years of experience. I have a MBA. I don't need to be mansplained. That happens. We move on. So That's yeah. Awesome. That's no, I, mean, I, mean, you know, I have two kids, two daughters. So, I mean, this is a topic that's very close to my heart. I mean, I, you know, I agree. I, I think uh, I'm also the kind of guy who doesn't filter. I just look at a business person as a business person. You have an objective. You're trying to do something and get something done. And I think, I think trying to put people in boxes doesn't solve the problem. You know, I think the idea is how do you dissolve the boxes, not not put people in boxes. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah I love what you're doing. That's that's fantastic. So, yeah. what do you what do you think is what's your advice to you know women entrepreneurs out there who, you know, and I know I know very few women entrepreneurs who are in their 40s who start their first business. You're you're one of the few that I know, uh, and I guess maybe because it's all the responsibility that comes with you know raising a family, you've got other things, other priorities, and there's a lot of risk. As you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you've spent your sleepless nights and wondering where. Exactly, yeah, right? I'm sure. Exactly, yeah. exactly, right? So, what's your better advice to somebody who's let's say late 30s early 40s and they've, they've got this idea they think they can help the world and how do they make the decision you know the, the, the two things first thing is you have to have the financial stability to go do this doesn't matter what you're doing right now but if you don't have a savings if you don't have a game plan to, to go i had an executive salary at a very large consulting firm i had to go from that to zero and so you, you have to have a game plan. It took me probably three years. And, and part of the game plan is getting your significant other on board. And, you know, every bonus, you don't go to Hawaii that year for Christmas, right? Like you just keep, you have to keep squirreling it away. And that was a, that's a critical component. If you don't have that, you're never going to jump because it takes years to get to the, the upside. And so, that, so that's A. Most women that I know, and I get grabbed all the time at events now in our town, women going, oh, I've got an idea. I've got this app. I think, I think I could do this. And that's my very first piece of advice is get yourself, not just financially stable, but get yourself, like, like reduce your family spending in a way where you can go way longer than you think it's going to take. That's A. B, incubator. Find a university system and get yourself in an incubator immediately. They incubate. They're amazing. They surround you with free resources. Sometimes they even give you a little money. The one we did actually had a follow-up accelerator and they gave us money and we built our very first website with it. Being able to be surrounded by free resources was, um, it was make or break. I look back on that UNC Charlotte program. I didn't go to UNC Charlotte, but I'm just one of the people who live in Charlotte who happened to have access to that place. I happened to hear about it through a, another entrepreneur and it gave me everything that I needed uh, and then I start peeling people off. You know, there's the, one of the, the first engineers on the spell check back in the 70s. He's, he's one of the men associated with the program. I took him out to coffee, had a three-hour coffee with him, told him like my whole life story and, and showed him my technology. And, and he's been coaching me ever since. You know, okay. you just have these amazing relationships, but you have to surround yourself. It's just like any other important life event. You have to have a support system. And, you know, when I looked at my life, I've got two kids who need me. I've got uh, a husband who travels full time 
And I needed to figure out like, what's, what's Katie's support system going to look like? Cause it ain't this, right? This is not going to fly. I need to go find people and I have to go like source them. And so, and, and you also just don't have a lot of money. You know, I was on, like, I mean, I had a chunk of money that went into the account to bootstrap this, this business. Didn't pay myself for a tremendously long time. And yeah. And so it's, I think that sometimes that's a shock and I think more people need to talk about it. You don't get paid immediately. You don't get paid for a year or two sometimes. Yeah. Even when you get paid, it's tiny. Like you just, it's a lot of people. I remember making the corporate salary and I thought, oh God, I don't give all this up, you know? <laughs> yeah. But but uh, but just like you said, Shaker, the, uh, the ride is the greatest ride of my life. I do it all over again. Right, right. Yeah, same thing. I think when I started, I was talking to a cousin of mine who had his own startup and he said, you know, just to be conservative, you want to have about two and a half years worth in the bank. And uh, I didn't take a salary for the first three years. And uh, I mean, my company ultimately still owes me a lot. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I think you're right. I think, I think family support is so important because, you know, it was so important that my wife was on board uh, with this. Um, my kids had to know what we were getting into, you know, so a lot of the things that we were doing, we had to cut out, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but I think I think across the board, we wouldn't trade it for anything, you know, because I think the exhilaration of seeing the progression of the business, like we would talk about it over dinner, you know, remember five years ago, this is what we did. And, you know, can you believe it? I mean, that's where we were. Um, yeah. So I think it's super exciting. So we, we want to wish you all the very best. I think you're going to do fantastic. And I hope there's uh, retailers out there listening, because I think if you're out there, you should really get in touch with uh, Katie here. So how do they get in touch with you, Katie? Uh, you can go to our website, groceryshopping.com, and uh, there's forms there that you can quickly fill out and they get directly to us. You also can just email me directly. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is probably my most active social channel. So I am Katie H. Hotes on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, no, I welcome the outreach and I appreciate this. This is really nice. And Stephanie, it's been nice to meet you as well. You also. A lot of fun. Great. Stephanie is the best. So. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, she keeps me on track, you know, she's, she kind of keeps me in my good behavior. So don't I know what that. I'd do without her. So Aww. I love that. Anyway, uh, so Katie, thank you so much for being on the show. And the folks will be back again uh, next week with uh, some more guests and some more amazing stories like Katie's. And I want to wish Katie all the very best. And uh, I'm sure she's going to have a fantastic future. And Stephanie, you want to say something? Just thanks for having me. I've had so much fun and Katie, it was great to meet you. Oh, thank you. Great to meet you too. Glad you're here. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. 